You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years of This is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Rubin Pupko. Hello, I'm Avram Kivalevich, and sitting across from me is Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Pupko. Rabbi Pupko, I don't know if we're going to apply this appellation to you, at least in front of you, but we know of the concept of the rabbi's rabbi. Um, Rabbi Ralph Pelkowitz, in many people's uh, estimation, is the rabbi's rabbi, a scholar, but also an orator. An orator. (laughs) <laughs> the ability to speak uh, uh, on, a, on, a, on the drop of a hat, to be able to give a drosha, to prepare a beautiful drosha, to inspire, to know what his audience can take and what they can't take, um, and, and fused with the ability to be offer pastoral counseling properly, to be able to walk into a shiva house, to be able to keep, to, to understand the dynamic, to visit at the hospital to deal with uh, issues of end of life or marital strife, to be able to provide halachic guidance. And yet, many times we have rabbis who are one but not the other. <laughs> there are rabbis that are able to prepare a drosha, and when they speak, it's like the late Jonathan Sachs over Sholem. However, they don't attend to the other duties. <laughs> they're not there uh, at the hospitals. They're not visiting. Uh, people find them um, distant and cold. Uh, they don't answer the phone and get back to them. None of the great, beautiful things that we hear about the other nifter of David Feinstein and his father, that being ready for the common person. Um, this fusion is, is rare. And what I'm going to ask you is the following. If you have, I'm not going to talk about the one who is a great darshan and knows how to uh, inspire publicly, but is sort of uh, missing that other factor. I want to ask you more about the other guy, who I think is a much more of a a real and tragic situation. He loves, he cares, but when he gets up there to give the drasha, he stutters, he perhaps repeats himself, he 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 fumbles and somewhat publicly, but yet. He would be the person that could be the most trusted. If such if such a person would come to you for advice, and you would see maybe perhaps him as an intern, would you advise this person to pursue the rabbinate, even though because he has these milas, despite the chisaron that probably isn't going to go away? How would you respond? It's a very, very interesting question. Because I think we can all think of models of each version of rabbinic success, of the rabbi who had enormous impact because of his ability to empathize and connect with people and to be there for people. We know of people who were successful because of their ability to, to teach and to speak and to, uh, and, and to eloquently uh, transmit, you know, uh, the, 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 the concepts of Torah. So we, we both know models of, of success in, in either direction. You know, you know, there's an old Yiddish expression. Nobody has everything. But, of course, there are rabbis who are good at both. Um, you know, it's a very interesting question. You know, about 140 years ago, 
there was a Yiddish newspaper that interviewed four rabbis. This is a pretty famous story. I will mess it up. I, I caution anybody hearing me tell the story to, to, to be very skeptical if I got all the names right. But my memory is the following. The journalist asked for Rabbanim, what's the most important thing about being a rabbi? And they asked the Yorach Shulchan, and they said, what's the most important thing about being a rabbi? And he said, the most important thing is the Paschal Shadim. They asked Rabbi Fol Shapiro, and he said, the most important thing is to be a Lamdan, to give a shir. They asked, I think it was Itzala Petterberg, but that one I'm really not sure. And he said, the most important thing is to give Musa. And then they came to Rabbi Chaim. And Rukhain was very smart, obviously. And before he answered, he said, tell me what everybody else had answered. That's how the story goes. Okay? But again, anybody listening should be very skeptical as to the, uh, as to the complete correctness and, and accuracy of my uh, narrative. They asked Rukhain. He said, tell me what they all said. They told the article. He said, you know, Paskin, the Paul Shapiro said to give a shear. And Rukhain answered like this. He says, listen, to give a shear to learn, we're all supposed to. Every Jew has to learn. Learn enough to be able to teach. Everybody has to. To pass the Shiloh, hopefully we all learn enough to be able to pass the Shiloh. To give Musr, every Jew has to give Musr. What's the, what's the Chiddush? So why is that? That's not about a Rav. That's every Jew should be that way. He says, what's different about a Rav? Said Rav Chaim, to be with his people. To be with Chal So that's one story. Does it have anything to do with your question? Eh, maybe. <laughs> I have seen in my uh, uh, lifetime uh, evolution of, of things. In other words, my late father's generation, the most important thing was oratory. The most important thing was being able to get up and be a public speaker. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Jews of that time wanted their rabbi to be able to inspire, to speak, also to represent outside the arena of the synagogue, they wanted, you know, a good speaker. Came to school, they wanted to have a good, a good rush. Uh, those who knew more wanted a good cheer. That changed dramatically. That's not the world anymore. And then it evolved to, um, to a very different world where being able to connect with people became much more important. I remember a very funny sermon I gave once where, uh, I love to quote myself, uh, where there was a, a, a rabbi had come to Montreal and he was hugging everybody. Everybody's hugging, you know, you know, the, the hugging generation, pre-COVID hugging. And, uh, you know, hug the hug, say a you know, hug, you know, to be connected people, you know that. And you're, I, not I, talking, you're not talking about Trump Karlbach, are you? No, no, no. I'm talking about all, <laughs> all, you know, all platonic. And the, um, the, uh, and the hugging, everybody's hugging everybody. I'm not talking about women. I'm talking about men. No, hello, hello, hello. Yeah. So I gave a sir, I was in a funny mood about how, you know, I'm a rabbi. I have two brothers who are rabbis. I have two brothers-in-law rabbis. I have ten uncles who are rabbis. My grandfathers are rabbis. I said, and none of us ever hugged anybody. Not only that, none of us were ever nice to anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, as a joke. But my, my point was that the world changed. And, and, and at a certain point, people needed to feel a personal connection to a rabbi. In my father's generation, nobody ever thought they needed to have a personal connection to a rub. The rub was there to teach, to pass, and to lead. The idea of, of the rabbi being your friend did not exist in the 50s, 60s, and even 70s. But then the world changed dramatically. The idea of a personal connection was very, became very important. And, but the, but, but I, I want, 
even in my father's generation, the ability to be there for people, certainly at a time of crisis, at a time of challenge, was also very vital. And, and, and being there for people is, has always been a component, I think, uh, of robotics. So uh, the question is, which is more important? It really does depend. There are people who want that. There are people who want the sheer. There are people who, and that's evolved, you know, uh, in some places, the only thing that really matters is able to pass. Uh, so it, it's very difficult. Every hill is different. Um, you, you know, I, I once just, and, and I, I know you're, you're you're struggling here in a sense to, a to answer. Question. Yeah, yeah. I, I will tell you something that Michael Broyd, who uh, maybe will be welcomed back into the right. uh, scholarship world and his voice will be heard again soon, because I think he has a, a number of smart things to say. Yeah. I disagree with him about a lot. But Michael Broyd said that part of the purpose what a rabbi needs to do, and I think it's written up somewhere, is to show himself to be like the smartest guy in the room today. Uh, In other words, part of his erudition and scholarship, and maybe sometimes his speaking, is because he needs to promote his agenda, which is the main thing. But the problem is, if he doesn't have the pedigree and he can't show that, uh, he'll be challenged. So in other words, as opposed to in your father's day, Ovashalom, uh, the the main interaction was the sermon, the main thing that they accepted, this is what they lived with. Here, the rabbi's ability to sermonize and be able to speak is what tells you, oh, you see, I have this badge, you see what I can do? Therefore, listen to me about what we're going to do about Kirov, what are we going to do about helping the poor people in the neighborhood, right, right, how right. are we going to interact? So it, it's, that's Again, a- I've seen so many different kinds of rabbis. I know my sons who are rabbis, for instance are much better at certain elements of the rabbinate than I ever was, much better. And uh, they have ability to, you know, uh, to, to connect with people uh, in, in a real way and, and inspire people. But it, it, it really, it, it's a tough question. It really is. I, By the way, I, I would disagree with one thing you said. Good. I think, I think it's easier to teach speaking skills than human skills. And I think that somebody who isn't a good speaker can learn how to speak better. I'm not telling you they'll become Winston Churchill, but they can certainly become. I, I, you know, I'll tell you how. You know, I, I happen to speak well, but you know how I really I learned how to speak two ways, right? I learned this is very funny actually. I learned by sitting and listening to my holy father, of course. But I used to drive around in my car. I used to remember the days they had cassette tapes. I used to play for myself cassette tapes of Don F. Kennedy speaking to learn rhythm and cadence, and, you know, and and and, and just. And that's important, and you learn a lot. The best way to learn how to speak, I think, is listening to good speakers and, and paying attention. But also, I mean, my late father, when he came to Pittsburgh, he took a speaking class in the University of Pittsburgh. You can teach somebody how to speak better. And, and, and it's important. If you're going to be in a stroll where that's important, you should take the time and effort to do it well. And, yeah. and remember that when you're speaking to Balabatham, it's not like giving a sheer uh, in a yeshiva. And to know how to speak slowly, and to know what to emphasize, and to know how to frame things. And uh, so, so and, in the case that I mentioned to you, Rabbi, of uh, the stutterer, the one who, I guess, what you would say is, is he he should definitely devote himself to becoming a better speaker within his capabilities, being realistic, what he was, what he'll be able to do. Right. Uh, in other words, he should take this as a problem to be solved. 
Whereas I think what you're getting at without I'm sort of stealing your thunder is you no. can't create empathy no. in, in, in the heart of a bastard. You know what I'm saying? You can't, the, no, you, can't, you can't teach that. You can, you know, you can get somebody who knows how to pretend, but you know, you can't fool people. So I can come across as irreverent and caustic and, uh, and you know, and, 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 you know, and, and flippant, but the people in my soul know that if something happens, I'm there for them. And they know because I happen to actually care. Now, I, as you know me, of a very long time, you know there are there are people who are very good at acting as if they are balichesed, but when push comes to shove, they aren't. When they have something on the line to lose, they don't give it up. They don't. And then there are people who who act who act kind of differently than the model of what you think the the balichesed looks like, but who will kill for their people. And will do anything for their people. And will be loyal and faithful and caring and concerned in a real way. So there's a lot of people out there who pretend to be nice, right? And it's and it's really easy to pretend, you know. Uh, but you know, but the people who really care, the people who really do for others, it's not it's not as common as you think. And uh, but I do believe it's easier to it's easier to. To, to teach an awkward speaker how to speak better than it is to teach a, an umensch to be a mensch. You know, I'm reminded, uh, Rabbi, uh, by what you're saying, uh, a, a member that has arisen uh, in the week and a half or two weeks since Rabbi David Feinstein was nifter, um, and Rabbi uh, Belsky, very uh, close applied this to Rabbi David, but this was a, what Rabbi Moshe told uh, his Talmud, uh, what a Rav should be. Yeah. I mean, that's all what it is. It's... You have to love Jews a lot. Of, you have to love Israel in a strong way. Yeah. The main emphasis of your perspective, Rav Feinstein, Rav Moshe Feinstein said, was to try to make things easier. Oh, but here's the key that I love. To be able to do it, you can't just say, uh, we, we talked before we started recording about many uh, activist rabbis that are out there who just basically want rip to uh, <laughs> rip the halach apart and say, yeah, let's do it. You got to know how to learn very well. Now that uh, is... And I would say the next best is to have the phone number of somebody who knows how to learn well. Which, which as we know... Uh, people had, we speak about uh, Reb David, uh, people knew, uh, everybody knew that was the number to call and you'd be able to reach him. Um, and that is, you know, something that was there. Listen, I, I, listen I, we don't, we're not going to waste time talking about how too many parts of our, our world have moved. Our, no, let me just put it this way. Too many rabbis are afraid of the guy in the back row of the best measures for the soul snickering about a kula and, and therefore take a more extreme position, which makes them immune to criticism and, and they don't have the courage to do what's right and to say what's real and to say what's true. And, uh, and, and we live in a world where too often the tail wags the dog and, uh, and people are afraid. And uh, to be well, well, realistic, well, well, you, you well, need well, to have the confidence. Let me look, you know, I know that, you know, we're both on the same side here about what a real place it should be and how you have to show that obviously stroll in your sock. I just wanted to ask you, you know, and again, going, getting back to my original question, if that person would come to you, and would, would you tell them um, 
because of his incredible um, empathetic abilities, I guess is a way to say it, the fact that he's a natural listener, uh, the fact that he that he has the brains to figure out, anticipate, would you still advise him to go into Rabbonus? Even though you're right, you would. 100%. That's the most important thing. The most important thing is, to, is, is obviously so, the most important thing is to represent Torah by living the basic principles of Torah in the in a very tangible way, in, in, a, in a very real way. I mean, you talk about Korvus, I'll tell you, you know, there's a Tshuva, the Chazanish, who was not known for being a liberal. Uh, the Chazanish uh, wrote something, he was asked about Shemitah, the Neretz So He was asked about a guy, uh, it basically sounds like the guy owns a hardware store. And uh, non-religious Israelis would come during Shemitah to buy shovels and stuff. And they asked him, somebody asked him, are you permitted to sell shovels to people who you know are going to use it to violate Shemitah? And he said, of course you're allowed. He says, because what's the, what's the alternative? To create more strife and enmity? To create, you know, a, a, a sin of sin? Of course you do. Now, let me ask you a question. 2020. How many would have the courage to pass them? What a simple question. You know, it's a silo of Aveda, you should, you know. Who wouldn't? And the point is that the, it's what's lacking in Psak today is courage. The courage to fend off the detractors, the kind of courage of Misha is, it's all that. And Rabdavid. And, and Rabdavid. Yeah, they, had, they, they were enormously courageous people. And they didn't. And, and and the point is, it's not that they didn't care about the criticism. They cared, they just happened to have cared more about the Jewish people. Well, one thing I'll tell you what's interesting about, we talk, you know, we're talking about Reb Dovin, and I've read a lot about him this, this week, is that when he saw that the tide, whether you recall it, the tide of Humrah or whatever it was, he didn't necessarily say, I'm going to fight against it. Because, and again, this is like his brilliance. On one hand, yes, he could be the voice of Kula, which is important. On the other hand, there was also the sense of going against the, the rabbim and giving the impression that the rabbis aren't uniform, that he's disagreeing with them. So he, he really, in many ways, picked his battles. There were places, for example, in the Copapods, which was, I don't know if you remember, I think you were out of New York already. Uh, the Copapods issue was the... Um, the not so microscopic organisms that were found in the New oh, York the City drinking water. The water issue, yes, yeah. and, um, and 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 of course this this deals with what a sheritz is, and right, even, right. It, in other words, it, did the sheritz ever go into the? Was the sheritz trapped? Did the sheritz ever leave the water? It was really a very technical question about what shrutzim are and what is considered when they're yotze chutzah. It isn't your typical question about are they microscopic or not. That's also part of it. It's all a bundle. And Reb David initially did not uh, agree with the Yisr, but when he saw not only the scientific evidence, but the amount of Rabbonim that had signed on on it, he added his name to it, and he became the name that everybody evoked that it was Usr. Now, I, I just bring this out uh, to just illustrate that on one hand, doing this is like, are you nuts? And this is what Rabbi Strobelsky and others said. Now you're going to turn out that people 
are going to believe that their 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 drinking water is is, is full of shrotzim. It's like they're reading Chazer, and the, and of course one of the issues was. What about the generation before, including Ramesha, who was drinking the water freely and putting it into milk and everything? Are we going to say this? And this was one of the, the arguments about this Chumrah ha- as a way of overturning Messiah in a way. And it's, 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 it's so Rab David walked the line on this and was willing. To, yes, on one hand, it does seem like we are coming up with the Humrah of the century. <laughs> On the other hand, when you see the tide of rabbinic thought, you can't always say, I'm going to be the voice. Because sometimes that creates a fissure that people don't forget. I was trying to explain this to somebody a few weeks ago. So whenever a rabbi is confronted with a Pesach, that's a public Pesach. I don't mean, you know, somebody asking you, you know, what happened, you know, my, my milk and spoon fell in Inflation, whatever. Talking about a public issue, or or even an issue which is not a is not a communal soccer, but in other words, things which which are known, and is that you always have two agendas in your head, and this is and, and it's okay to have both agendas. It's not a violation of Allah to have both agendas. It's it's not only what you want to pass. It's not only the halach. It's also you have to think about. The reverberations in terms of community unity, in terms of Chil Hashem or Kiddush Hashem, there are other issues on every on the table at that moment, and and there's nothing. If you look at the history of Pesach, there was always, always an expre- a concern expressed for the consequences, in trying to anticipate consequences of what a Pesach is, and therefore those consequences having an impact on Pesach. Psak is not an isol is not in a vacuum. Psak is in a, in part of a society, part of a community, and sometimes those external considerations lead you to chumras, and sometimes they lead you to kulu. Right? It's it's not hundred percent that every time you think about something else, you're going to make be makel. No, sometimes you're machmer because of it, because you understand its reverberations, you understand the consequences, you understand how your psak could be misunderstood or applied incorrectly. You have to think about the impact. It's not just about, you know, the shachtas. Well, again, you know, the Rav, Rav Salvechik was famous for um, explaining to the rest of us how messy halacha is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's trying to create a, um, a compromise, uh, but it's never perfect and pat. And it many times changes uh, from one person to the person right next to them. I heard th- the same story about the Rav, and I heard this about Rav David Feinstein this week. Fr- a friend of mine who's a very chosh of a Rav now in uh, Chicago, Rav Zev Cohen, you might have heard of him in Chicago. He's a very large Orthodox shul there, a yeshivish shul. And uh, he was a, a shamus sometimes of the Rav in, in Brookline. And uh, a, a certain question came up of a certain type of food to eat, and the Rav said mutter. Yeah, hundred. Yeah, you can eat it definitely. And he turned to Rebzev and Zevko and said, "What about me?" He said, "No, for you it's also. Yeah. And and Reb David Feinstein. Reb David Feinstein said a similar thing about wearing a watch in a place where there's no eruv. He said a person came to him, and he said, "Fine." There was a person right there, and he said, "No, look, you're a Ben Taira from where you're coming I'll from." Tell you, I'll tell you a different version. That I have kids in my show 
who have asked me if they can play basketball on Shabbos afternoon. Some kids I've said yes to, some kids I've said no to. All right, so now we have a nice, uh, I have a trifecta. We but have, I never allow We have, we have Rav Yosha Ber Salvechik, we have Rav David Feinstein, <laughs> and we have Hagoyen, Rav Yeshua, uh, Ruben Yeshua Pupko. I, we never have, allow, I never allow full court. I only allow half court in Shabbos. So, in other words, for certain kids, you'll say, play basketball in front of your house. Okay, so I used to tell kids like this. Again, I, I, I don't have a big show, but when people would ask me, we had, when we moved into our uh, house in Skokie, um, we had, it came with a basketball hoop in the, uh, yeah. in the driveway. And uh, it was sort of like a, uh, a beacon for many kids in the neighborhood to come and play in front of our, ba- front, of our front yard. And... Um, what I what I would say was on Shabbos, I'd say, look, you can always come. I tell them, look, you can always use this Zenen of Ezelichos or come and play here. Uh, sometimes if the car is parked right there, you know, be careful that, it, you know, it doesn't, uh, the basketball doesn't smash the windshield. But on Shabbos, I said, look, don't play in front of the house on Shabbos. Right. That's what I said. Now, if you, you want to play in the backyard, that's one thing. But playing in the front yard in front of the house, right. that, that, that was my pshara. Now, you would say, it depends who. For some kids, you would say fine. But well, I like kids... how you handled it. That's very smart. But the point is, for some kids, you know, it's hard to... For some kids, you don't want Shabbos to turn into a misery. For yeah. other kids, they're supposed to know better. It depends who's asking you. It depends. It really does depend. And if and if Rump doesn't understand that, if they think it's all in the footnote, they're nuts. You know, for some people, you're Mako on certain things. For some people, you're not. You know, for you know, Takanos is I mean, we all know this. There's different rules for different people. There are. And, and so, what some one person considers hefs in the ruba, not to another person hefs in the ruba. I mean, halacha is subjective. I, I will tell you, you know, and I think we had to wrap it up here that there has been um, a movement <laughs> and, by Rashmul Kamenetsky, who I know you you're somewhat familiar with as well. Yeah. Um, Excuse me. Yes. You know, he's. In many ways, with Rabdovitz Ptira, he's sort of like uh, one of the last of that door. Uh, it's so shocking, you know, me and you saying this because we remember their parents. We remember right. Rav Yaakov and Rav Moshe. But he, now, Rabdovitz was a young guy. To us, right? But <laughs> but 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 again, look, we're in our sixties, and they're in their they're they're pushing ninety and beyond. But um, you know, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky. Um, So Rashmu Kamenetsky uh, has started a, um, a mach- I don't know if it's a machon, it's sort of like a, a, a place to produce Rabonim. Uh, okay. You know, we've so, we mentioned the, you, you saw uh, Rabitzel Petterberger. Rabitzel Salanter um, was asked by Rav Naftali Amsterdam, and maybe Rabitzel Petterberger as well, um, should they start studying the parts of Shulchan Aruch when they were like sort of young Lamdonim that are going to be relevant to Psak Halacha. Uh, in, in other words, and what a Rav would need to know. So he said, look, better you should, you're going to end up probably there anyway, because there, it's, you're not going to be able to make a living just sitting and learning. You should start earlier. So this way, Rabbi Israel said, you'll be ready when the time comes. You're not going to have to play catch-up like many yeshiva shechever who become rabbis and then have to figure this out. So Shmuel Kamenetsky, taking a cue from Rabbi Israel Salanter's uh, advice, has already started targeting uh, b'nei Torah yeshiva shechever who seem to have what it takes, right. training them in homiletics, training them in a practical psak, 
and there is a, a, a machon in Lakewood that's produced. I don't know no, what no, the no. name of it is, but I think that's really what's called for. Um, is, 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 is smart people in, in, across the whole spectrum zeroing in on the next candidates and right. then shunting them into these programs where right. they don't have to necessarily, like you talked, we talked at the beginning of the program about the rabbi taking the, the elocution classes. I think the, what could really work in a beautiful way is zeroing in with Midos, their Heretz, of power to speak, and then giving them a two-year course. Or, but or but I would also I would make one proviso. I think the skill that they – let me put it this way. The most important thing is what Ramesha said, is that you need people who have an abundance of obviously so an abundance of patience, and then you take them and you and you give them the skills necessary to function as a rope. Don't take somebody who is a brilliant Pisces and knows all of Shulchanara, but is you know can't connect to people and, try, and, and imagine you could do that. You're not going to be able to do that. You'll have much easier time teaching a halacha to a mensch than teaching mensch to a Pisces. I agree, and, and unfortunately, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Because right. all of us are attracted to the brilliance, all and, and and we sometimes invest in these men who show such brilliance. We put oh they must be a good a, a mensch in Balmidos, because we're as we say in Yiddish we're farkishift by their brains. We're yeah. farkishift by, by 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 the phrases they're able to speak, and that you're right. It, it it takes the older generation to recognize and maybe to tell these brilliant kids, look, I don't think you should be a row, but Go into Dionysus. Go into Absolutely. go into an area uh, where you're sort of in the ivory tower, right. and, and and this way you can make a difference. Or become uh, a shneiser. <laughs> in terms of really killing Navajos. yeah, you're right. They might that might be what it's really about. Or you never know. They they, they might decide to run for president in 2020 <laughs> in 2024. That could that could work too. So that's it, my friends. All right. So we shall see you, Mirza next week with All another right. edition of. Emeritus Rex. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.